welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. You learn who you are and who everyone else is and who you can all become. And I think it just changes your perspective on everything. I think it teaches you how to to overcome the weaknesses you have so that you can help other people do the same. And so even if you don't think you're perfect now, um, you're still not going to be on your mission, but you're going to get a lot closer. And so I would, I would tell everyone that's even considering it to just do it. Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach. And today we are joined by Sister Merrigan Gerard. Merrigan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Merrigan is fresh. She's been home for a month from, what was the name of your mission? The Philippines Iloilo Mission. And we always like to kind of start from the beginning, kind of chronologically. Before you even went on your mission, what were your thoughts when you opened your mission call? So this is kind of an embarrassing story, <laughs> but um, I was convinced I was going stateside, preferably to Temple Square. And I made that vocal to everyone that <laughs> I was going to go there and that was my dream. And so my parents said, okay, if you want to go there, then where do you not want to go? And I said, probably the Philippines. Oh, no way. <laughs> so my dad kept teasing me for about a month and he kept saying, well, the Philippines are going to love you. They're going to love you there. And I kept saying, stop, stop saying that. And then I opened my call and it was the Philippines and I was convinced he called someone <laughs> and made it happen. <laughs> That's funny. So I was pretty terrified when I found out that I was going to the Philippines. So, so what was your conviction of going stateside and going Temple Square? It's just something you've always wanted to do or... I just, I didn't think I could go foreign. Yeah. I thought like, I'm a little high maintenance. I don't <laughs> think being like in a foreign country would, I think I thought that would be too hard for me. And so you open your call and you read Ilo Ilo Philippines. What's going through your head other than being a little bit terrified? I thought, oh my goodness, what did I get into? <laughs> Can they switch it? <laughs> but I think the craziest was I was trying to figure out like the language. I was like, this is not even a normal Philippine mission language. Like, where am I going? Yeah. What, what was the language that you were called to speak? Um, I was assigned to, or I was called to speak in Hiligaynon language. And how did you, how did you pronounce that when you first read your call? Cause I can hear you say it with a little bit of an accent. accent. Yeah. I would have had a hard time pronouncing that. Yeah. I pronounced it, I think highly gay non cause it's spelled with <laughs> gay spelled. in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So you went to the MTC, was that in Provo or in the Philippines? It was five weeks in Provo and then two weeks in Manila. Nice. Oh, they, yeah. like a little, they have an MTC there too. Okay, yeah. cool. Awesome there. It's really small, but it's awesome. And then after, and how, how long were you in the MTC for? Was it nine weeks or? Um, together, altogether seven weeks. Seven weeks. Five in Provo, two in Manila. Manila. And then you're just thrown in there. You're, you're preaching the gospel <laughs> in another language, in another country. Yeah. How, how much of a role did your trainer play in helping you learn the language? Okay. So my trainer is the sweetest, bless her soul. She does not 
speak Hiligaynon. She lived in a northern part of the Philippines. And that was her first area speaking Hiligaynon. Her other two areas were speaking another language in our mission. And she couldn't really speak English. And I couldn't really speak Hiligaynon yet either. (laughs) So we had a really bad language barrier for the first couple weeks where we just couldn't get along because we couldn't understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end, we were only together like seven weeks and I got emergency transferred. But towards the end, she helped me a lot where she was only speaking um, like Haley Guinan to me because she couldn't really understand uh-huh. my English. So she she helped a lot. But I think I kind of progressed after that. What? And I feel like we, we jump in, at least when I think of missions, I'm like, okay, like they went to this area and then they learned the language and then boom, they're off. And it's like that first couple of weeks, that first transfer, like that is so hard. Even if you're like, I served English speaking, it's so hard, like of an adjustment. What kept you going when you couldn't even speak to the person that you're with 24 <laughs> seven? Yeah. Um, prayer. <laughs> like I remember convincing my like you're in taking a bucket shower like I'm in the Philippines the water's freezing cold brown like no air conditioning and I remember like convincing myself okay you signed up for this you signed up for this like you're not coming home early you you got to do this and I would just cry all the time like at the apartment and then I would just pray and say heavenly father I want to be here I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it so you got to help me out and I feel like every time I just had a lot of peace come over, like, you got this, you can do it. And I think that it re- the spirit helped my mind kind of understand her as well. So even though she was speaking another language and I was too, I think we kind of understood each other at the same time, which was like crazy. But now how, I, how similar is Hilly Gainan from Cebuano or Tagalog, the one that your companion had spoken? Was it pretty... Similar, or when you say she didn't speak Hiligaynon, or was it like she had to learn a whole new language as well? Yeah, so that's like the cool thing about the Philippines is um, everyone there, their native tongue is Tagalog, and so they can all pretty much speak Tagalog, they understand okay. it, but there's over a hundred dialects and they oh, wow. are all different. So you could meet a Filipino who lives in like Luzon, which is like the Northern part. And if he could move to my Island, Panay, and he could live there for 10 years and he still wouldn't be able to speak the language. No way. Yeah. Wow. So it's very different. I almost think of it like all the different accents down in the South. It's like not even f- like that though, Florida's, because you could still understand someone. It's yeah, it's, I guess like you're whole, right. It's like Arizona and Mexico and like, yeah, I guess that's yeah, weird. It's different. Yeah. That's tough. It is really tough. So besides the the shock of a language, what were some of the cultural shocks that you had going from the U.S. to the Philippines? Um. Wow, a lot. <laughs> you mentioned bucket shower. Yeah, bucket shower. Um, no toilet paper. Um, toilets that don't even have a handle to flush. That was kind of interesting. Did they have the pole thingy? No, you oh, just okay. dump water down it. Oh. <laughs> like drains. Um, another thing is like, they refer to each other as like family. So if I saw someone older than me on the street, I would refer to her as like Nanai, which is like mother. Oh, really? Or like Tita, which is like aunt. Um, and so you don't, if you refer to someone as kind of their first name, it's not super polite. It's mm. kind of disrespectful. They're very like family oriented. And that it's was like kind of formal and just 
Interesting. Yeah, which that's, was that's kind cool. of like. But that's cool to be so you know close and familiar with people as you speak to them. Yeah, it was nice. It was kind of awkward. I think like we're taught in the MTC, "Nanai" means mother, and I would hear my companions call someone mother, and I'm like, "That's not your mother. Why are you calling <laughs> yeah. me that?" But so like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was one. And before you can enter someone's house, you take off your shoes. That was kind of weird to me. I remember. Like a lot of the houses are dirt floor. So like you're taking off your shoes and yeah. walking into dirt floor, which from is from dirt floor of, to dirt floor. Yeah. Is there anything other than, is it trying to be clean or is there like some type of symbolic meaning behind that? Um, like clean and it's just like respectful. I, if there is a symbolic meaning, I never have heard of it, but I think it's more just out of respect. Now, when, when I think of the Philippines, I just think of it like a million just, islands. Yeah. A million islands and all jungle. Is that how it was? Or, and then, but then when I see Cebu, it's like a big city. So what was your, what was the the demographic of your mission? Was it more islands, more tropical kind of backcountry, or was it a kind of big city? So my mission of Panay is literally everything. You have something that's called Bukid, which is like mountainous, like super mountainous. You have like beaches, like white sand beaches in our mission. Like oh, resorts. Wow. Yeah, like resorts. Cool. There's um like just dirt areas like there's places called squatters which is um really poor areas um there was like city areas like suburbs and then there was rice fields so there was like everything there wow mm -hmm. tell me about rice fields rice fields how do you feel, <laughs> how do you feel about eating rice after living in the Philippines. I love rice. Rice doesn't love me. Oh, it's really? like a love-hate relationship. <laughs> rice, it tastes so good. I love the way it tastes, but it makes your body feel like trash. I think like us Americans, we're not used to eating it so much that I just feel super heavy and yeah. like tired. And, and so, it's just straight white rice, right? Yeah, yeah. white rice. And it, it tastes so good, but and I never feel full. So you just keep eating and eating and <laughs> yeah. eating. Um, but yeah, I love rice in were, small portions. Were, were there any other foods that were new to you that you just came to love? Oh, lots. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of vegetables before my mission and they have all these random vegetables there that are like super good. Like vegetables you've never had before. Yeah. Like okra mm -hmm. and different things that we don't have here. I don't think. We're just not as popular. It, it's, yeah. it's fried in the South, but yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. And fish. I didn't eat a ton of fish. They have this, um, the, this fish there, it's called Uga and it's like dried salted fish. And you eat it with the bones and everything. Oh, wow. Like yeah. you eat the bones. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because it's like so dry that it's kind of, yeah. You, it's like beef jerky almost? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> you just eat fish. the whole, whole fish. Yeah. And you it, like fry it afterwards and it's super salty. And that was actually pretty good. What about, and now I'm leading because I know, what about music? music? Filipinos and music. Oh my goodness. They, that's how you know if someone's home or not. If they're blasting if, music yeah. or if they're singing, right? Yeah. Or if they're singing. <laughs> yeah. And usually they're not that good at singing, but they have the best, like, um, usually they're not that good at singing. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, or like there's no shame. Like they're just, yeah, there's no shame and they're like belting and you're like, go you, but like a little tone deaf where you're like, okay, you can take it down a little bit. You know, I'm remembering now all the Philip 
Filipinos that I worked with, they loved karaoke. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure that's pretty popular down there, right? Yeah. So usually at about like 7 p.m., you'll hear all these drunk men and women <laughs> singing their hearts out. That's awesome. We, I actually lived next to, there's three karaoke places, which are basically like, um, like a bar or something? Yeah, like a bar. Mm -hmm. And so they're right next to one of my apartments. And so every night at like 9 p.m., we're getting ready for bed and we'd hear these people like blasting <laughs> these songs, singing, and we're like, oh goodness, this is going to be a long night. Just a nice lullaby to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this popped into my head and I'm going to say, I'm going to ask before I forget it. What about Manny Pacquiao? Oh my goodness. <laughs> is he the most <laughs> fil famous Filipino? Oh, that, that I, I would, I'm pretty of. sure the entire country stops whenever he fights or he's like yeah. a, a politician down there now. Right. I yeah. don't know. Tell me about what, what is the, what is the relationship Manny Pacquiao has with the Philippines? What with kind of impact does he have? Oh, he's like everything to them. Like a superstar. I think I can't remember how many times I've gotten asked to get a signature like they're like you're going to the philippines get a signature for me and the oh people no way there, they ask you for manny pacquiao's signature yeah <laughs> and like same with like even like americans they want it too like but he yeah he's pretty good and they always say they'll like mess with americans like oh your fighters they they have <laughs> nothing against manny pacquiao that's funny so yeah well, I guess Floyd Mayweather has something to say. About that. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not a boxing guy no, either. I just remember hearing. It seems like everything stops yeah. when there's a big. So I served in, in Brazil. And so when like the national team would play soccer, like everything would just stop. And so I heard Manny Pacquiao is very much the same way. Yeah. So getting away from the culture of the Philippines, back to your mission, you've been out and you're learning to speak a new language in a new country and you're trying to preach the gospel to people. And then early on in your mission, you got to train a new missionary. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that was like. <laughs> so when I was in my mission seven weeks, I got emergency transferred out. Um, there was some problems with some other sisters and um, they put me right in like the mission home boundaries. So I was in the same ward with my mission president Oh, nice. Yeah. And I had um, like a follow-up trainer sort of for a couple of weeks and she got emergency transferred. So by about week 11 of my mission, I was put with a sister that we had, they call it batch. We had got there together. Neither of us could speak the language. They gave us a brand new area and then they had us trained together in a trio. Oh, wow. And so we, it was us three with a Filipina from Lazone, which is um, you said northern. The northern yeah. yeah. And she could actually speak Cebuano and Tagalog, couldn't speak Hiligaynon. We're two, me and my other companion were both white girls. She's from Utah, I'm from Arizona, and we both couldn't speak Hiligaynon or Tagalog <laughs> in this new area that was tiny. And so we trained her for six weeks, and then she left the other American, and I finished her training. But it was hard. Um, it sounds like a lot of what you were experiencing earlier of just being overwhelmed. And I imagine a lot of prayer every yeah. day and in the shower with your bucket shower. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was super overwhelming, but it was, it was good. I think that we all kind of balanced each other out, which is, I think what we all needed. We had a rough patch at first. We were living in a house with two other sisters and it was hard having five in one house and different foods trying to all fit. And it was just really hard. Um, we like moved houses and 
it was rough. But surprisingly, between the three of us, two English speakers, one Tagalog speaker, we had a lot of success in that area. And so as even though it was hard, I feel like the Lord blessed us because we were trying. Absolutely. Yeah. His grace. We And we've talked about it before. If you're trying, then you're, the, the blessings will come. Yeah. What, what do the, the people of Iloilo think of like Americans, like two sister missionaries coming in there? What do they think? They love Americans. They are, Filipinos are the sweetest people I've ever met. And they are super, um, English, hold on. They're super. Will you say in Hiligaynon right now, whatever the word is? Like, parang, <laughs> wait, long Budleiman? Basta, they're like super, they like adapt well, um, and they can speak good English. And so when they see an American, they, they will speak English. Oh, yeah. okay. And then when you can speak their language, they're like shocked. They're like, oh my gulay, balanya. Like they'll like <laughs> tell like, oh, she knows how to speak hilly guy, man. Like, and we didn't preface this. Sister Gerard came home, what, a month ago? ago? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if, she, if she's snapping her fingers and trying to find English words, it's because... She, because all that struggling trying to learn to <laughs> is still weighing on her. Now yeah. it's a struggle learning. Again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The blessing and the curse. Right. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really, so do they, all the Filipinos, do they learn English in school? Yeah, okay. they do since like they're young. And so they actually do like some funny things to teach their babies. Like if a baby cries, they don't have lots of toys. So they'll say like close open and close and open the baby's hand. Oh, okay. And so the babies learn and they oh, speak it and they're pretty good. That is interesting. Um, and I was just going to ask, like going back to that companionship, because I know you help train there. And then I know it seems like sisters are like moms in general. Like if one sister trains once, she probably trained like two or three or four times. You're nodding your head. Yeah. What <laughs> in, in all the, the times you're training, what did you learn from the new missionaries? Cause as like a new missionary. I still remember my train. Like you'll never forget your trainer and there's always something, but what did you learn from, from the new missionaries that you were able to kind of teach them how to preach the gospel? Oh, I learned so much. I think, one is I think I learned how to be humble because I had been there a long time and I had felt like I kind of knew it and they didn't know the language. And I think it helped me realize like, okay, even though you technically know more about this or this, like you don't know everything. And so I, I love that, um, being a trainer was not it, to me, it wasn't like this thing like, oh, Sister Gerard is better than this person so she can train. It was more like Sister Gerard needs to be humble. So we're going to give her someone else to teach her that, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think there's always something to be learned from whoever the, the student teaches the teacher as well, you know? And so it's regardless of who you get or what type of personality you get, there's always something to be learned. And, and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's being humbled. Yeah. I always think of like a stone being polished, you know, rolling around. Rough, you just got to, you got to just got to knock off the edges with this kid, knock off the edges with that kid, you know? Yeah. So you, you served with a lot of companions. Mm -hmm. What did your companionships teach you about relationships? Oh, that is a weighted question. It is a weighted question. Ah, <laughs> uh, so much. Wow. Um, I actually made a list 
in one of my journals about everything that I learned from each specific companion. Oh, wow. oh, that's awesome. Just so I would remember and how it like affected me. But um but I think what it, having my companionships helped me realize is that one, communication is everything. That if you're frustrated with something, it's better to just tell someone right then and there than keep it in. I think it I think also it helped me realize that the Christ-like attributes aren't just attributes to help us to um, like become like Christ in a church-like setting, but forever, like especially in like our relationships. Yeah, like patience and different things. And it helped me realize what are my strengths and weaknesses. Like my favorite companions were the ones that would just listen to me and follow me. But the ones that we progressed the most were the ones where we were helping each other and pushing each other to be better. Communicating. Yes. <laughs> what's working and what's not. Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because as a young missionary, and some people might not like know this, I always thought they're Nephi eleven twenty nine scripture mastery. And now I'm forgetting off the top of my head, contentions of the devil. And so I thought as a missionary, like, ah, oh, I really don't like the way this is going to my companionship, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want there to be some angst between me and my companion. Uh-huh. And I just suffered quietly. Yeah. But when you, and you learn this lesson, when you can communicate in such a way that you're not going to offend someone, just like, Hey, this isn't working out. We need to work on this. And it's not, it's not just companionships, it's marriages and it's, it's everything. If you can learn to communicate you'll be so much happier. And then that, that burden, that weight that you carry on you on your chest. And every time you breathe, like it, it goes <laughs> yeah. away. I think it's important. I mean, the, I think the idea that it's always going to be contentious is I like, think it's, it's, I think that's what stops a lot of people from having those difficult conversations. That's what Satan wants you to exactly. Think. And then it's like three minutes into the conversation, at least all the contentious feelings are gone. And then it's like, okay, we're working together we're solving these problems, you know, and how, how was it for you in those situations when you're not even, not only training somebody who, when you're like the senior, you're supposed to be the authority yeah, or whatever. So let's say you're, you're, you're training this, you're in the tripanionship, mm-hmm. you're training the Filipina mm-hmm. and she doesn't even speak English and she doesn't even, well, you say she did speak English, right? Yeah, she could understand. Yeah. So, but how was that? You're, you're still trying to have those quote unquote, difficult conversations, but you're trying to respect the culture. You're trying to like, let me teach you about Filipinos. <laughs> yeah. How to teach the gospel. Yeah. So how, how was that? Was it kind of difficult? You kind of had to tiptoe around the cultural thing or as long as you were really, yeah. What's your advice for that? Ah, uh, what's it called? Um, every Friday, weekly planning, companionship inventory. inventory. What's your, what's your advice <laughs> for going into companionship inventory? Um, sister Wakolo, if you guys know the elder Wakolo yes. from the 70s, yes. she gave the best advice. She always said, um, three stars and two wishes. So you would tell three things you like that they're doing, three things that you think they're doing great. And then two wishes, two things that you think that they could improve, which is such great advice, but also like I sometimes would have a hard time thinking about three, three and stars. two. <laughs> yeah. You're more like... <laughs> One and we, 32. We did, right. the, we, we did the Oreo on my mission. Good. Something to work on. Good. But no, that's, that's very wise advice. Yeah. Well, I love like everything about an Oreo. So it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. And so what did that, did that come from the mission or was that just. She just said that once, usually they would tell us um, in our mission to say positive things too, that I think 
as missionaries, we're giving so much love to people that sometimes we don't feel it in return. And so they would remind us, like, make sure you're telling your companions what they're doing good. And sometimes I think when you think so much about the good they're doing, by the time companionship inventory comes around, I couldn't even remember the bad things. I'm like, okay, I remember there was something, but I, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember having a, a companionship inventory and the bad thing was, dude, you grind your teeth when you sleep. Like <laughs> you need to figure <laughs> something a, out. What a blessing that that's. <laughs> well, there was a definitely, there was like five weeks of, a lot of other conversations. Oh. <laughs> he had worked to that point that, that yeah, was the that worst was like, thing. hey, just stop grinding your teeth, man. <laughs> oh man! And then you mentioned the Christ-like attributes. How did how did preach my gospel help you with developing Christ-like attributes? Oh, it helps so much. I think preach my gospel helps you realize what each attribute actually means. I think a lot of us think like faith is just believing in Jesus Christ. And as you use preach my gospel, you realize it's not just so much believing or trusting in him, but like trusting in his promises that on the days and the weeks where it feels like forever and that you can't do it, that there really are blessings that are coming and you just have to trust that they're going to come. So much wisdom. And oh. Sister Gerard. Oh, whatever. <laughs> and I was just thinking again about like, Christ-like attributes and communication. And then like you were talking about how you give so much to other people on your mission, but you got to give back to your companions, but also to yourself. Like how important was self-talk on your mission? Like what you were thinking? Oh, it was so important. I think if you think negative or you talk negative, it affects everything. It even affects your work outside. And that was something that was actually a struggle for me on my mission. I think I... I was in a couple areas where I had followed this one sister and she had been there and she was amazing. She was everyone's favorite. And, and I remember it was really hard for me. She was also American and I felt like I was kind of getting compared a lot. And I think it like put me down. And when I would think negative, like people could see it. And I didn't realize it until like someone brought it up to me like, Hey, we can tell that you're not feeling that good. And I was like, dang it. How did you know that? Like, <laughs> and was this, was this a member or? Yeah, I was a member. Um, and she just said like, we love you. We're not comparing you to her. Like, I think you're just doing it to yourself. And I'm like, you're probably right. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. So how was it receiving that like counsel from a ward member? Cause I think of right now, like if I was to go and their sisters in my ward, I think I would have a hard time walking up to her and going, Hey, I, how are you doing? I think you're having a hard time. How how was that as a missionary to to have a ward member come in and open up and essentially support you, but at the same time potentially have a difficult conversation saying, hey, I noticed you're having a hard time. How was that? It actually was not hard at all. I think part of it is the culture. Like we refer to everyone as family. And so once you're there for so long and you're calling someone your mom the whole time, uh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think you just like take it as... This is like a mom. Yeah. That's cool. I think if I was also in an American mission and someone or a stateside mission and someone said that to me, I probably would be super offended. But like in the Philippines, it was more like I felt like they really cared about me and wanted me to be Uh happy. Yeah. For me as a ward member, I could walk up and I could see, I could say, I could see this going one of two ways, either really good or the elder or sister going like, yeah, being really offended. But I think that's really cool that the culture was there and you know, you had that relationship where there was no boundaries and 
It's yeah. really good that you accepted that and then it changed your outlook on that, that area. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, as long as a member or whenever we're giving or you're receiving correction, as long as it starts from a place of love, I think it's always going to go the right way. And like you talking about like how awkward it would be to talk about something with a missionary. I started my mission in the South in the U S and members would do that. And I love, really, I love them for that. And I, I think, and I don't want to turn this into me, but I think going into my mission that I had no idea how impactful members would be to me and how, how much I cherish the things that they said, like they're, they're, they're your best friends on your mission. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. How, how, how impactful were the members in your missionary work? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the members in the Philippines are member missionaries for real. Like they have referrals out the wazoo. Like there are so many referrals that they have for you. They feed you even if they have nothing. They are always checking up. If they give you someone as a referral, they will check up the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, so awesome. did you call them? Yeah. Did That's you visit awesome. them? And they'll tell you too, like, okay, maybe you shouldn't say this thing or this thing to this person. And they'll give you the rundown. Like this person has been taught before, but these we know she's points. ready. Yeah. <laughs> wow. These are the things. And so they were so helpful. And then there were some areas where the members were a little bit harder. And I think maybe the wards or branches weren't as unified, but the ones where the wards were super unified, it was, we never worried about having like someone to fellowship them at church. We never had to call someone in advance and say, we're going to have someone at church, please help Such them. They would just stand outside, shake their hands and say, come sit with me. Wow. And so we'd have to try to find, we're like, okay, where are our investigators in here? Like trying <laughs> like the to, member had stolen them. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like trying to find, we're like, where are they like trying to count how many are there so that we can do our key indicators. And it was super interesting. What, what a, what a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, you, you were talking about wards and then you had served with your mission president. It, well, at least in the same ward as your mission president, his wife, what impact did they have on you and your mission? Oh, wow. So I actually had two mission presidents. Okay. Um, both amazing people. Um, they were both Filipino and, um, amazing. And they had a huge impact on my mission and, and on my life. I think, um, they both had super good goals and aspirations. And I think they were all the same, but they approached things differently, which made them different, but they cared for us and loved for us in a way that is almost like a parent child relationship. And they like helped our mission progressed so much, but also like, I think the missionaries that they really took the time to get to know the missionaries that they would remember things that you had told them in an interview or joke with you. And it wasn't super like awkward or like a strict type like a business yeah. type of relationship. It was like fun. And, um, and they helped me realize that, that life and the gospel is not, it's not just serious all the time. It's life. Like it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to, it's supposed to help us progress. Um, but it doesn't have to be serious or like demeaning all the time. Like it can be uplifting and I guess positive. Nice. And then you had mentioned sister Wakolo and elder Wakolo. He, he gave a talk a couple, I think it was like an area talk for the Southwest or anyways, did you ever get to talk to him or meet him or what, what impact did he have? Yeah. Wow. Elder Wakolo had a huge impact on my life. I wish 
and on my mission. I wish I could talk to him and tell him this personally, but he came to our mission two times. Um, one with uh, Elder Renland of like the Quorum of the Twelve and one with himself and his wife. And um, when he came the second time, I was near to going home for my mission. Um, and he gave this presentation about part member families and to not give up on them because his wife was a member and he wasn't. And he just kept saying like part member families, part member families. And that was kind of already our mission goal along with like finding new people and, and working with less actives. And so I remember hearing part member, part member, part member. And the area I was in was basically all part member families. And we had visited tons of families and we had given up. We're like, these people are rude. Like they're so stubborn. Like and they were hard. I think the part members were the hardest of all of the people being taught because they had, they knew it or had bad examples mm -hmm. and didn't want to join. But he kept telling us like, go for it, keep going. And so I went home after I was a leader at that time. And we had this special meeting with him and, um, I went back home and I told my companion, I said, listen, we have to go back to these people we can't give up on them. And she looked at me like I was crazy because a week <laughs> earlier I had told her we're never going back this, there. It sounds like Nephi going for the plates later. Yeah. Like, he tried to kill us. Like yeah. this is not this a good little, idea. I think they went, what, three times or four times? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> so we went back to this one family in particular and we visited them for a whole month they wouldn't even let us in their house, which is not normal in Filipino culture, especially if you're like American. The first time they usually let you in the door and they would make us sit outside when it let us in. And so we would see the mom doing laundry or work and we'd do it with her just because we kept remembering, okay, Wakolo said we'll do get all these blessings if we do part members. And we kept going and going. And finally, after like a month of serving, the mom looks at us and she goes, so when are you guys going to teach us? And me and my companion look at each other and we're like, right now, we're going to teach you right now. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> and my last week in the mission, that fam part of the, part of those mem part of the members in that family got baptized my last Saturday there. And so I think Elder Waholo is the one to thank for that because had he not um, kept encouraging us to do part members, I probably would have dropped those people. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And that is cool. It sounds like, one is Filipinos sound awesome. Like I, my father-in-law is Filipino and he's like the happiest, nicest guy ever. And every Filipino I meet, like they're just smiling they're happy. They love music and they're big, big about family, but the church is growing so much in the Philippines. Do you know how many temples are in the Philippines? They just announced another one, right? Yeah. They just announced another one. I'm pretty sure. Um, right now standing temples, there's only two that are, running. Well, I guess no temples are running right, right now, but, um, there's two running. There is, um, the problem with the Philippines is trying to build the temples. It's they're on islands. And so you have to kind of make sure the ground is okay. And that kind of takes a while, but important all the materials too. Yeah. But there's a lot that are under construction. I think in total under construction that have like been announced and everything, including the standing ones, I think there's about seven. Oh, wow. I think. Yeah. I know it's, it's, it's the Philippines taken off temple wise and the number of missions. And it seems like as a missionary, it would be very tempting not to do what Elder Wakolo said and to just teach as many people, if they're yeah. just going to let you into the house the first time and. And I don't know, it sounds like finding people to teach was not a difficulty, but more maybe finding people to really commit to the gospel. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I think it's important too, you know, I remember Carlos Godoy um, came and talked to our mission. He was a 70 and issued a challenge. And I think it's important for missionaries to accept those challenges, right? Because they're coming from a place of revelation. And again, had, had you not... Like you, like you said, a week earlier, you had said, we're never going back to that family, you know? And yeah. again, it, and not only that, but you didn't go back for one week. You didn't go back for a week and a half. You went for a whole month before they were actually like, okay, now you can teach us. I think, you know, it's just, again, using Nephi as yep. an example, like when he says uh, in Portuguese, no sabendo a un gigante mount, like I think he's in English, it's, he didn't even know where to go yeah. and the spirit just guided him, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, okay, we're here and what are we doing? Okay. Now we're washing clothes with this sister and then this will lead somewhere. You know, I think it's important to, uh, you know, accept those challenges and understanding that they're coming from a place of revelation and then following through with them, I think is important. Was ever again in a month to, to serve someone for a month, was there ever a time when you or maybe your companion got one of those Lehman or Lemuel coffee? Like, this is not working. <laughs> I think of the old cartoons. How are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it was hard. I remember thinking like um, the people around her are going to think like that we're like rich Americans or something, just trying to do things. And that was kind of one hard thing is that I think a lot of Filipinos see Americans and they think money and, um, but most people, they don't treat you that way. But I was kind of worried that that's what some people would think because we kept going back there and just serving. Um, I think I was also frustrated because I'm like, come on lady, we're helping you. (laughs) Like let us in the door. (laughs) Like we're doing our part, Um, which was kind of frustrating, but we could tell like, um, gradually there, there's little signs that their hearts were softening. Yeah. That, that she would laugh or she would do something and we'd like look at each other. We might get paid and we're like, yes, yes. That's like a little victory for today. Um, until like it got to a point where we were like friends and she actually told the mom of the family, she was the most stubborn of all of them. She actually told all of her neighbors. She said, I hated missionaries. They've, they've tried visiting me for five years, but sister Gerard and sister Ragas, I can't get enough of them. Like, I don't want them to leave our house. And I remember I was like, we did it. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And I think there's so much missionaries have a spirit about them, right? Even if they're not teaching a lesson, even if they're not inviting somebody to be baptized, I, I wholeheartedly believe that she felt something different when, when you guys were there, which led to her heart being softened over time. Yeah. And again, I think that's just so important to understand. I think missionaries get, cause I was guilty of this. So into the, all right, let's, let, all right, lady. Like, yeah. so can we go inside? You know, when it's like, you know, Things take time, you know, the, the Lord prepares people in totally different ways. And, you know, it's awesome to hear that, <laughs> that, you know, she got to the point where she goes, I can't get enough of these sisters, you know, cause I think, you know, there was definitely something felt there. Yeah. yeah you'd built up that, that trust and she, she knew that you cared about, about her. And I love that you said that there was that little victory of the day, that those little victories as a missionary, like sometimes it's the little victories, they add up. Yeah. Um. What, what advice would you give someone who's considering going on a mission? Do it. 
<laughs> and don't just do it to do it. <laughs> I would say like, give it your all. Um, missions are so fast. They are the fastest thing and they change you. People always say um, missions are better than a university or like they are faster. I can't even English, sorry. You get a, a, a more of an education out of the two years. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. And it's so true mm. that you don't just learn like who your savior is. You learn who you are and who everyone else is and who you can all become. And I think it just changes your perspective on everything. I think it teaches you how to, to overcome the weaknesses you have so that you can help other people do the same. And so even if you don't think you're perfect now, um, you're still not going to be on your mission, but you're going to get a lot closer. And so I'd, I would tell everyone that's even considering it to just do it because it's not, there's nothing negative that can come from it. You mentioned earlier in your mission that you had some frustration comparing yourself to another missionary. What advice would you give to someone? And now I'm just going on advice, but what advice would you give to someone who is having those same issues? I think. Or what did you do to, to overcome that when that member approached you and was like, Hey, something's wrong here. I actually, I met once with my mission president and cause I got to, I would, had been in a certain area for eight months, had had like four companions in that area. I would have been a leader the whole time in that area. And I was just ready to leave it. I'm like, I'm, I've been here too long. Please get me out of here. <laughs> and then I just felt like, and there were some people that did compare me to her and, and I think that made it worse on myself, but um, but what I, what I did is one, I just prayed and then something that, um, I, I kind of just realized through like my personal study, um, when we're trying to teach other people is that about like the worth of us or like the worth of each soul. And we teach that every day to these people to help them. And I kind of just had this feeling like you're teaching it, but you don't really believe it. Like you still think that you're not where you should be, if that makes sense. And so I just, I think I just prayed a lot and I told Heavenly Father, listen, I don't feel that good. I feel like I'm kind of lagging behind these other people, just trying to keep up with them. Um, but then the other thing is once I prayed about it, I just kept feeling like you're fine, get over it, just work. And so I would just work and I was fine. I got over it. <laughs> Work cures. Yeah. And again, I think it, 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 this is kind of a, a reoccurring theme as all the missionaries we've interviewed is the moment they found out how to be themselves and not worry about being compared is, is really when their, their missionary work kind of takes, they kick it up a notch, right? It's because you're able to, to be yourself. You're able to, you know, the testimony you bear is, is yours, right? And you're not trying to become somebody else. And I know Jordan's mentioned it, you know, you see these, powerful missionaries and you're like, Oh, I got to teach like that guy. Mm -hmm. I got to talk like this guy, you know, or I got to testify like this sister or whatever. But as soon as you become yourself and you're comfortable with yourself, even if you're having a hard time with the language, the people accept it so much it's, faster. It, yeah. It's authentic. And it's, I think it's hard for heavenly father to bless you when he's like, all right, sister Gerard, I've given you like these talents, but you're trying to like copycat someone else. Yeah. He's like, well, you just use the talents I gave you and like appreciate them and, <laughs> yeah. and we'll, we'll make it work. But, I don't, and like, that's, again, that's, that, that's where missionary work becomes fun. It's just a blast. 
Um, Culturally, and you're learning a new language, how long did it take you to get to that point? Ooh, I think about six months was probably when I like could understand everyone and could respond. Mm-hmm. Um, about four months I could understand about everything, but it took about six months to be able to respond. To be yourself. Yeah, and, to, yeah. Be, yeah to yeah. be myself with it. Would you say that is the same moment when you went from crying in the shower quietly on your mission <laughs> to, and like we laugh about it, but it's still Everybody's cool. everyone, it. everyone, everyone that served like knows like, yeah, I've cried in the shower multiple yeah. times, <laughs> but going from like crying to me, like, man, this is hard. Like, I don't know if I can do this to like, I love this. Like, this is awesome. Like what, what got you to that moment? Yeah. It was about that same time. I think, um, I, the things that started to seem negative at the beginning of my mission they became like the fun things like, mm-hmm. okay, there's no ride to get home. We're walking five <laughs> miles in the rain with no umbrellas. This is fun. So like those things probably would have killed me the beginning of my mission. Like, oh, I can't do this. But once I'd gotten there farther, it was like, this is an adventure. Like this is missionary work. It's walking around for hours in mud and all these things. And I think that it just became more of like, I think I'd adjusted, I guess, like fully. And I think it was about the same time that I had adjusted with the language that it just all came together. And I was like, this is fun. This is like, this isn't something scary or sad. It's an adventure and you have to enjoy the journey, even if it's hard. Mm -hmm. And I think all missionaries, foreign and domestic go through that, whether that's two months or six months, it's like, you got to get to that point. Yeah. You got to get to that point. This podcast can help you get to that point faster. Yeah. The but, way, but the thing is you still have to go through the mud and yeah. you yeah. still have to go through some tears in the shower. Yeah. The way I always described it was like, if you're like a ski slope or, uh, you know, or longboarding down a hill, it's like, you got to walk up and your legs are burning but all of a sudden you're at the top and you're like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And then it's yeah. just like, you're cruising all the way down. And I love it when you see pictures of someone and they're drenched. Or yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah. I'm sure you have tons of those. Oh, huh? tons. What are they, uh, what are they, were you ever down there for, and I'm going to pull my Cebuano, uh, uh, Baguio? Baguio. Ah, see? So close. Baguio, Baguio. Tro- tropical storm, right? Yeah. Was there ever like a hurricane or anything down there? A typhoon? Yeah. Yes. Ty- way to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were a lot. Actually, there's tons. They go through a, it's kind of like, I think, hurricanes in America. They Hurricane go through season. the alphabet, right? Oh, really? Like yeah. yeah. And so they do that. And so in one year, you usually go from like A to S. So oh, there's really? like tons. But our mission is so lucky. The island of Panay and Gimaras, they, we get rain and wind, but it's nothing compared to like the other Philippines okay. islands. And you said it's right in the middle, right? Yeah. Okay. So I can, I can see like, as you get further down, you're a little bit more in the safe the zone. Ocean. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. So if someone got their mission called to your mission right now, what, what should they do to prepare? Learn the language. <laughs> <laughs> they, I would try to get like, um, I, I watched a couple of online videos on YouTube, but I didn't take it seriously. But I w- came back from home and like kind of looked at them again. I was like, this is actually correct. Like, I wish I would have kind of focused more. But also I think um, like to learn to adjust now to like even in your home setting, if there's something that you're not good at adjusting to, if you want things to go your way, learn those months of your 
or while you're preparing to just be able to adjust, to mm-hmm. let other people do things. Cause I think if you go in not willing to adjust, it's going to make your mission so much harder. Even if you're good at the language, if you're not willing to adjust and to, to conform to other people's culture or, um, like religious backgrounds, it's going to make life a lot harder. Wise words. <laughs> and you talk about religious backgrounds in the field and I know we're kind of bouncing all over. Are they predominantly Christian? Yes. Um, almost everyone there is Catholic. Actually, okay. you can't go to school unless you're baptized in the Catholic church. Like you can't go to grade school? No. Oh, I, yeah. Wow. So everyone is Catholic. That's what So it's like the, the state religion. Yeah. Okay. Base, yeah. And almost all the schools there are Catholic schools. Really? Um, like they have uniforms and everything. And so they all believed in God, which was so helpful, which makes it a little bit different than the other Asian missions, um, which was also hard because it was like, my grandma was a Catholic, so we're going to die Catholic. And yeah, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was a big thing in South America too. Rough. And they would be like, We'd be like, hey, so what are you doing this Sunday? And they're like, oh, nothing. And then we teach the lesson. So Sunday, you want to come to church? Oh, I got to go to my church, man. It's like, <laughs> you just told me you were doing anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You've been home a month, yes. right? How, how was coming home? Because your sister Gerard, yeah. right? Speaking crazy yeah. languages. And now you're back in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> how yeah. was that? That was hard. I cried so much, like not like the whole week before me coming home, I think was just awful. Like, I think I like was trying to give it my all, but like my mind was like, you only have four more days, like kind of high school musical songs. Like this is your last shot to make. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. So I was like trying to like work the best. I actually got like my companion and I got sick the last week, which was awful, but getting off the plane, I saw my family and it felt like a dream. Like, did I even go to the Philippines? Uh And I remember I gave them all a hug and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go back on the plane. I saw you all. Um, but it, it's hard. Like, um, it's hard because you realize that even like that your home and that your purpose is different now. I remember like taking off my name tag, my sake presence, like, okay, you can take it off now. And I was like, I'm not taking this off. Like, can I wait a little bit? And when you take it off, like you honestly feel like something is being ripped off of you (laughs) and it's, it's an awful feeling. But the more I'm home, I realize that, that God still has a work for me to do here. And it's harder because now I have to try to figure out what it is each day that he wants me to do. That's awesome. And in the beginning of your mission, crying in the shower, to crying because you don't want to go home or you're uh, not that you don't want to go home, but you're understanding that your time is now four days or whatever. Did you ever think you would get to that point? No, (laughs) (laughs) actually my, like my, I think it was my last two weeks. There was a sister. She had just came straight from America and we Uh were living in the same house. And I remember she sat down with me and she said, I just went to the hospital and I saw all these like poor people. And she's like, how did you do it? And I remember I was like sitting and I was like, how did I do this? Like (laughs) I'm going home and I don't know how. And then I just realized that, that all of those hard things, the longer I'd been there and gone through it, 
it didn't feel hard anymore. It all felt happy. And I think it's really the savior just replaces all those hard things with just good memories, I think. And so it just, I don't know. I didn't think I'd be able to make it. I thought for sure, like I was going to go home early or something. (laughs) I'm like, I can't do it. Like you get so many mosquito bites and (laughs) hard companions. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm tapping out. But I made it and I think it felt unreal. Like it felt like the 18 months was really just 18 days. Yeah. That's a good way to point it or to put it. And I think it's every missionary goes through those phases where you, where you wake up and you're just like, what am I doing here? I can't take this anymore. But it's like, you, you can't stop. You know, that's, you just got to get through that little, little section. Just like, you know, this sister coming to you, how did you do it? And you're like, I honestly don't know how I did it. I just did it. (laughs) You know, like I don't remember feeling bad. I just remember looking back at it. I remember how fun it was. And honestly, that's, if there's one word of advice that I could share, I think that's, that's one of them is just get through that point. Everybody goes through it. And it's like within callings of the church too, you know, you just got to get through that point. My next question is, let's talk a little bit more about cultural things. Spider fighting. Oh my goodness. What's spider fighting? They walk around. I'll let you you talk about it. Tell me about spider fighting. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm terrified of spiders and they, the little kids will walk around and they'll find like a dead leaf on like a, on a growing tree. And they're like, there's a spider in that leaf. And you're like, <laughs> That's how they know if it's, a dead yeah, leaf. if it's a dead leaf. And then they have these spiders and they're like big and they're like feisty and they just let them crawl around them and they'll put them in a little cardboard box. That little matchbox. Like, yeah. A little matchbox. And then they'll fight with them. They'll like one person will have a spider. The another person will have a spider and their spiders will fight. And then whoever wins, sometimes they get money. Sometimes they'll keep the other person's spider. (laughs) It's like Pokemon cards. It's like real life Pokemon. Yeah. (laughs) It's like cockfighting with spiders. Yeah. And cockfighting's still a big thing in the Philippines too. It's huge. And it goes up to boxing. Yes. Yeah. They they love fights. They do. But they're such nice people. They are. It's crazy. I just, I, I actually had more friends serve in the Philippines than like Brazil. Like, Everybody's like, oh, everybody knows somebody who serves in Brazil. All, all of my friends served in the Philippines. Really? Yeah. So they would come home talking about spider fights and, uh, uh, Balut. yeah, yeah. What was your, tell us about Balut. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to throw up, eat it, go for it. Just Did you have a hard time? Oh yeah. I, well, Balut, you can get it at different stages of its life. A fermentation <laughs> yeah. different, different of its life. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not fermentation. Is that the right word? <laughs> I think fertilization, fertilization. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes it would be like the size of like half your pinky. The one I got was probably the size of my ring finger, like had a beak and feathers and everything. And so like, I'm, I shouldn't have looked at it before eating. So I like see it and I'm like, this is like, I can't even see the egg. I just see the bird. Like, like st- have feathers and stuff. Yeah. Oh wow. And so right before I put it in my mouth, I was like, what is this hard thing on the outside? They're like, that's the beak. And I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> I like put it in my mouth. The egg separates from the body and I just threw up and probably like dry no heaved for like five minutes. No after way. That. Like in a member's house. Oh no. In the MTC. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say in, in the manila MTC the night before, you get in the field 
they have everyone try it. And there's some Americans that will be like going back for seconds and thirds. I was not one Did of you them. ever have it in the field? Or what, I like was, a member give it to you or anything like that? I was offered it. I got away from it every time. I drank <laughs> the little like vinegar drink that's inside of it. Yeah. I just, the experience I had the first time, I just didn't want to relive it. So <laughs> I avoided it like the plague. Well, lucky for you, we have some here if you want to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't. <laughs> In my shoe, I got to get out of here. <laughs> it's interesting. You go on your mission and you're kind of split and you have one leg in the U.S. and one leg wherever your mission is. And it's like until you finally put that other leg in your mission and with like Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, like you guys have to help me because I can't do this alone. That's when things start to take off. And it's the same way coming home from your mission, but you need to keep that door open with your mission when you can still have those relationships with those investigators and you'll be a support and a pillar to them because they don't know anyone else in the gospel. And like, like you said, like they're like, I want Sister Gerard in my house every day. Like I I just love Sister Gerard. And so you got to be there for them. But it's like, it's an awesome wait to carry as a return missionary and you'll love it. I'm excited. So what's next for you? So I got accepted to BYU. I'm hoping to do, get into the business program and do marketing with a minor in international development to try to help the Philippines a little bit. So that's my plan. Well, Merrigan wrapping up, thanks again for, for coming on and sharing. Would you mind sharing your testimony and Hilly Gainan? I'd love to. <laughs> um, sige. Kabalo ako na, na ininasimbahan ay ang simbahan ni Jesu Cristo. Hindi siya ang simbahan sa mga iban. Hindi siya ang simbahan ni Joseph Smith. Bukon sa mga Mormons. Pero ang simbahan ni Jesu Cristo. Kabalo ko gid na siya gid ang foundation sa ining nasimbahan. Uh, Arat siya permi para sa aton. Bisan anong oras, bisan ano ang problema naton, arag git siya. Kabaloko man nga may arag kita ito may salangit. Kagpalangan niya kita. Gusto niya para sa aton tanan na makabalik sa iyang presensya. Hindi niya gusto para sa aton lang subong, pero para sa aton tanan na mga utod na makabalik sa iyang presensya. Kabaloko man na nga si Joseph Smith, siya ang paagi para sa aton na mabal ang tanan na kamatuoran. Kag, kapasalamat ako sa iya, kag sa iya sakripisyo, sa ininga simbahan, kag sa ininga ebanghelyo. Kabaloko gid nga ang simbahan, kag ang ebanghelyo ni Yesu Cristo, makabulik siya sa aton, Nga mabalaan kung sino kita, kag kung diin dapat kita makato para maging parehas kita kay Jesu Cristo, kag amo man sa ato na may salangit. Kabalokoged na ang aklat ni Mormon na ayang pinakamatuon na libro dili sa kalibutan. Wala ang iban. Kag kung magbasa kita, mabalaan gid naton ang tanan na kamatuoran kag magapalapit kita kay Yesu Cristo. Kabalo ko gid na tanan gin share ko matuod kag gusto ko ibiling sa pangalan ni Yesu Cristo. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, well, wrapping up, everybody, thank you for listening. 
Um, Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and we actually have a challenge this episode. I want to challenge everybody who's listening to, to this to share it with one or two people who you think would benefit or any of the previous episodes. Um, we've been getting a lot of good feedback and it's we've actually had quite a few non-members listen to yeah, it. And, and they're loving it too. So it's been fun for them. They're like, my best friend left for two years, 18 months. Like, what were they doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, Instagram, Facebook, follow us. And then we're excited to see what is next for you. Sister Gerard, and uh, we're very grateful um, to hear what you had to say about the Philippines. Thank you. Thank you.